Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 29th of April and joining me is Steve Withers. How now, brown cow? Mark Botwright. What a horse's arse of a name. And Ed Selly. But the nuns were a surprise. Welcome along to the end of April. It's been nice knowing you, April, but she's over and done with. And uh, the month's over and done with as well. So how's the year been so far, guys? Uh, emotional. Brief. <laughs> Been nice, lovely upturning weather. Yes, good. That's it true. is actually. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I feel really jealous of people who have gardens because at the moment the sun's out and it's beautiful out there, and I'm stuck indoors. And as I was saying this morning, I can't go and sit outside because I'm on the main street and it'd look a bit odd if I was sitting on a deck chair with me. No, mate, you need to get yourself an old sofa and sit out the front, <laughs> full redneck. It's brilliant, and you then you need some uh, t-shirts and hats in with with either beer or farming machinery logos <laughs> on them. Do you know that bloke did in America and attached balloons to him? <laughs> yeah, did he win the Darwin Award for that one? Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was, I don't know, don't you, you either have to die or be geni- uh, have, have your genitals savaged in such a way as you can't procreate. Yes, he died. It. He oh, okay, attached fine. weather balloons to his... Um, well, no, but uh, there is one bloke who managed to survive that. All right, well, the yeah, one bloke did it with a chair, it. I think, and, and yeah, and he survived... But the other bloke, he uh, went up so high, I think he froze to death. Right, okay. Yeah, that's not going to do you any good, is it? Anyway, April. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about? Uh, Welcome along to the podcast. Uh, Before we go any further, the latest competitions are, and I think I'll do it this week because everybody else has done it for the past month, so I'll do it this week. So Paddington on Blu-ray ends 30th of April. You need to be quick. That's tomorrow uh, at the time the podcast goes up. There's also the Dali Cubic One stereo system, which is again 30th of April. So you better get on quickly if you want to win that one. Night at the Museum 1, 2, and 3 on Blu ray uh, ends the 4th of May. And the Kingston HyperX Cloud Gaming Headphones uh, that ends 18th of May. And our previous competitions is it Davery? Is that how you pronounce it? Davery? Yes, or Davery? Davery. Uh, they won the Conan Brothers. Blu-ray box set. Well done there. Okay, so let's move on to hardware news and get the podcast started. Uh, the Apple Watch started to ship, and I've got a funny feeling at least one of us will have bought one. Really? No, that was a I'll joke, I'll take Ed. that bet. No, that was a <laughs> joke, Ed. I'm guessing that nobody on the podcast has one, uh, going by previous conversations. Well, no, I don't know. It's always always an outside chance that someone's had a moment of weakness, but no. I, uh, you know, I've seen some of the photos. People seem genuinely happy and if they're happy i'm happy for them but still the complete absence of a, a function where i think god how have i survived up until this well, point we all, we all said this about the ipad as well didn't we mm, no i quite liked the ipad from the outset Did i you? liked the idea I, ju- I just thought it was a giant phone I, iphone and I, I i didn't get it but then obviously i'll obviously don't get tech uh, steve think, you bought one no absolutely not no all right um, <laughs> i've got i've got a watch so you know don't really need it. I've got a friend who's got um, not one of these, but uh, a Chanel G um, smartwatch. You know, and he, he he loves it. You know, you can change the faces to look like different watches and all this sort of stuff. One of the things that I do, you know, when I look at a watch, I tend to think of watches as being round. I think maybe, you know, the fact it's not round doesn't look as much like. I know the, the argument is that we're making it more like a watch in the sense it's a piece of jewellery as much as it is a, a timepiece or in this case a smart device. But um, it doesn't look particularly watch like to me. It looks too much like a, well, a little screen on your wrist which isn't really necessarily what i'd want i think the idea of something that masquerades as a watch and then could also be a smart device as well would probably be more more um you know what like james bond's magnetic or rolex in um <laughs> uh, live, which, and, uh, live and let die yes, which, which is I, what, it's I, one use was to take the zip down on a dress 
Yeah, if I, no, if I could do that with also, the actual question, I'd be more than happy to. He also used the magnet to pick up the CO2 capsule to blow up oh, Katanga. Right. Uh, spoiler, okay. uh, by the way. <laughs> How heavy know. must that have been, though? <laughs> For the sake of those two uses, his arm is weighed down. I don't know. The, the inference was that Q Branch had always made it, like, super well sorted. But, yeah, I take your point. And then he also used it as a buzzsaw to cut through the rope as well. Yeah, see? It was it was a genuine Swiss Army watch. I have to be honest, in that particular scene you're mentioning, I was more distracted by Madeleine Smith than I was by the watch in question. Well, you know, that's, that's by the by. I guess, you know, my main thing here is it's not only the price, um, and I know there's expensive, a lot more expensive watches out there and so on, but what you're paying for there is you're paying for the engineering. You're paying for the... The, the way that the timepiece works and so on, especially the mega expensive watches. Okay, it's a smart watch. Uh, the one thing that goes against it is battery life. So you have to charge it every day. Yeah, I think in fairness to Apple, they've been conservative in terms of the battery life and apparently it will last more than a day. But ultimately, yeah, you, you've got a device you have to recharge every day, which means you can't wear it overnight, which is kind of, you know, the whole one of the big selling points of these devices in general is, you know, the health aspects. But, you know, you, you, it means it can't monitor your sleep patterns, which I think would be quite useful. And, you know, as opposed to a normal watch, which tells you the time and you don't have to recharge. And as, a, as Ed's pointed out, not an infinite lifespan, but certainly a very long lifespan. It can retain its value and it will last you for years and years. Whereas we all know these, these things will be out of date in a year or two and then they'll be trying to flog you something different. So, But are they trying to target watch wearers or the people who, you know, right, a lot of not- people have already kind of shed their watches and say, well, I, I take my smartphone with me everywhere. So therefore I check that. You know? Yes, uh, that's what they're talking. They're talking people who don't wear a watch who use their smartphone to tell the time. So I suppose that's fair enough. Good for them. But basically, I do like they've already announced a game though. <laughs> what for the watch? Yeah, yeah. The email came through about Spy Watch, um, <laughs> which it created supposedly from the ground up for the Apple Watch, and it it makes it sound a bit like a kind of Tamagotchi style digital pet thing. We train a spy. Um, but the, but the thing that I quite like about it is you get real time messages integrated into Apple's messaging system, so it makes it seem as if you're actually yeah having to do some work and getting proper messages when in fact you're saying you know should I infiltrate or should I you know go viral? So different. if you are actually a paranoid <laughs> conspiracy theorist, that's just going to tip you completely over the edge, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And the fact that there are a, a number of procedurally generated missions as well, so it will come up with new things for you. Well, I'm delighted to see that Barclays has updated their app so it would work with the Apple Watch, so I'd be able to see even faster that I don't have any sodding money. <laughs> um, it's like, hooray. I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, why would I have it over the phone? And I, I wouldn't have it over the phone, because you still have to have the phone in your pocket for the thing to work on your wrist. Yeah, he's saying for the people who are too bloody lazy to get the phone out of their pocket, that's basically the point of it, I think. So there you go. If they develop an Apple or any other company develops a uh, smart watch that also makes me invisible, like in the Gemini Man, I'll get it. But up until that point, no. Does it have a speaker built in? I don't know. I don't think so. No, so you, you couldn't even do Dolby Atmos or DTSX on it then? <laughs> yeah. You have to have a whole series of watches suspended around your head <laughs> in a strange hat configuration. Have they, have they worked out a way? I mean, if it did have a, a kind of speaker in it, they should have worked out a way to have the Siri voice change into the Knight Rider voice. Well, then I might have it. Change in the kit, the car. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure where's my nearest dominoes? <laughs> I'm sure that matters will it thing. You know, it, it'll move on, and there'll be be improvements and benefits and so on and so forth. But it's one area. You know, let's face it. I have enough expensive pastimes. It's one area where 
I've owned this particular watch for 18 years and it's 10 years older than that and it doesn't depreciate. I, it's one area where my expenditure is, is, is you know, sensible for once yep. in my life yep. and I quite like that. There has to be a market there. Otherwise, Apple wouldn't put as much effort uh, and as much money uh, into developing the product and releasing the product and bringing it to market. Um, but then again, the cynical say, well, Apple could bring out anything and people would buy it. I, as I say, I'll be, I don't doubt it's going to be tremendously successful. What I, I find interesting is whether the next generation repeats the super expensive ones. That's the area that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, moving on from the Apple Watch, uh, DTS-X is a new immersive sound format released by DTS and a lot of confusion uh, surrounding even its launch um, in terms of information about speaker configuration being the main one. Uh, So we got DTS on the phone, Dave Casey uh, from the company. Uh, There is a special podcast, it's available for download. Uh, Just go and look for it in the uh, AV Forums podcast or on iTunes in the playlist. Um, So Steve, it was only a 20-minute chat but i think we got most of the information that we need and i think we solved the speaker configuration question or did we not well we certainly got all the information they were prepared to give us um i I think they're being a bit vague about some aspects i mean what they what we can establish so far is it's definitely object based and it will be and they can they can basically map it to whatever speaking configuration you have but you know if you're asking what Speaker configuration they recommend, you know, they would say, well, a minimum of, of two high speakers at the front. But what was interesting was when he said, oh, would you, we should do a demo for you at some point with a receiver. And I said, okay, well, what speaker configuration are you using for the demo? And he said 7.1.4. So basically, it's a Dolby Atmos speaker configuration that they were using for their demos. So at least from the point of view of those of us who've gone to the effort of putting in speakers for Dolby Atmos, the good news is it sounds as though the best way of if utilizing DTSX is to just use the same speaker setup you've already got. I love the way you pluralized that, Steve. Us. You know, it's just you, just you, darling. But yeah, so whilst i still claiming, you know, oh, well, you can use any, I mean, obviously, you know, if you extrapolate that to the point where you're saying you could do an immersive surround experience with two speakers, that's clearly not going to happen. You know, so the bare minimum I would suggest would be 5.1 with two heights. Um, but to get something really immersive, it sounds like a 7.1.4 is recommended. Is that not something that Yamaha did about 25 years ago? Yeah, or more than that even, I think. It's been, yeah, they've been doing it at height, what they call them, present speakers, and that's what they call them, um, for years, years and years and years. Um, so uh, you, you think, based upon that, Yamaha must have something quite interesting lined up for later in the year in terms of DTSX and, uh, and I guess, already, well, they've already been doing Atmos, but um, they're a company that have got big experience in terms of uh, other now, additional speakers. Now, that may be said, but how many Yamaha owners actually have present speakers? Uh, well, I don't know, really. I don't have present speakers. I, actually, I still have an Atmos speaker system in at the moment. I have five point one point four. Upward firing. No, yes, yes, Steve. I, I, you know, I don't, I don't do physical labour, um, and certainly not to, so I can better enjoy Transformers. So, um, yeah. Um, no. What did you think though about Atmos? I, I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by um, the. I was uh, impressed by how much of a difference an upward firing speaker actually made in i mean admittedly i've got a, a two meter ceiling so nothing out high and outrageous um and you know i've got a nice square lounge and or re- just off rectangular lounge um so it's a it's a fairly benign environment but yeah i mean there's a there's some definite potential i just wish that it was in some way attached to a, a film that wasn't just absolute chud 
you know, I, I simply yeah, can't... But, yeah, but the thing is, I sat through Transformers. I couldn't get past 10 minutes into the storm. What do you want me to say? I don't think Into the Storm's... I think Into the Storm's far more enjoyable than Transformers. I, I quite enjoyed that at the cinema. Transformers is just like, you know, punishment. Yeah, well, it's just, it just is what it is. There uh, are I, other films with DTS... With, um, sorry. There I are know, other films with Atmos soundtracks. Ed. I know. I just haven't got around to getting hold of any of them. And given that the speakers are going back at some point, um, <laughs> I'm not going to rush. So, you know, as I say, there's some, some definite promise there. I just... I can't get that. I would rather. I'd still rather watch Apocalypse Now on a fourteen-inch color portable than almost any of the current Atmos releases. Are you know with with all the bells and whistles? Simple as. The good news is that DTSX uh, will be hitting the you know the stores come the summer. New receivers from most of the major manufacturers. Uh, an upgrade for the the uh, Denon X seven two hundred, and um, hopefully we'll be seeing some discs as well. If I had to hazard a guess on which uh, studios will be uh, will be doing um, DTSX discs first, I'd say it'll either be Lionsgate or 20th Century Fox because both of those studios have film clips on the DTSX demo disc. That's a solid method of uh, of gambling. I like it. Whereas on, in the case of Dolby Atmos, they've had discs released now by Universal, Warners, Paramount and Lionsgate. So they're getting pretty good coverage in terms of... Um, and there are now 11 um, Atmos discs. So. Whoa, 11? Yeah, almost enough now for me to do a top 10. <laughs> I've got nine so far, so I need one more. But I know, I know in the in the three back thread, some people were you know, asking some very detailed questions about DTSX. You know, they weren't telling us is the answer to that question. I mean, they're still they're not saying anything really beyond what they've said. Well, um, this well, this was their opportunity to yeah. to basically answer the questions and say, and um, you know, it's it's election time at the minute. Uh, you don't get any straight answers from anybody, and and it was very much like that um, yeah. in terms of answers. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, if, if they haven't finalised specs and stuff, they can't really start talking about. It. They can't really make any promises that they can't keep. So, I guess we've had out of them as much as we're going to get out of them. But it is informative. There's certainly more information there than there was on the press launch two yeah. weeks ago. Um, and they do answer some of the specific questions in terms of speaker layout. So, you should be able to read between the lines, I think, and some of the answers in there uh, to what was being said. So that's DTSX. That's a special podcast. Uh, go and download that if you have any interest in immersive sound. And moving on to turntables. <laughs> you see that? We we go from the cutting edge of technology back to 80-year-old technology. Uh, turntable. Yeah, we're going back to the nerve of technology that actually sells. <laughs> you did 1.3 million in vinyl sales, which was the same as 1989. Whoopee! It's the only physical format which is going up rather than down, dear. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, Right, so turntable reviews. We set the challenge to Ed um, to go and pick four turntables at various price points from the lowest to, I wouldn't say the highest, but uh, how how was it we were going to do it again? It was inspirational, was it, or aspirational? We selected four where you can buy them and they turn up as a going concern. Um, and that you don't have to go through the peculiar agonies of trying to, you know, pick tone arms, cartridges, so on and so forth. You can buy all four of them as a, it, they will turn up in, you know, as a single consignment and it's all been selected. So they all actually, all the bits actually work together. Sometimes because they're actually all made by the same manufacturer. In other ones, in this instance, it's because the manufacturer has selected bits that they know work properly with their bits of equipment so in terms of reviews that you can read we are halfway through uh in terms of reviews that are written 
uh, we're three quarters of the way through. I haven't done photos for the third turntable yet because uh, it's quite hard to take photos of a record player without a lid when you have an 18-month-old child trying to assist you. Um, but that'll be sorted a little bit later on. Uh, and, yeah, we've then got one one last one to go. Um, I think the thing that uh, is, is important to stress is that if you're looking for a pattern in how the prices go up, uh, I'm afraid there isn't one in the classic sense of the word. We went from £285 in the first instance to 550 in the second. Uh, and the reason for that jump was the difference between something which gets all the basics right and something which is very similar in terms of appearance and, and basic philosophy, but just gives you more of everything uh, and with the possibility to then further upgrade the product. Uh, the next jump uh, actually takes us from £550 to £1,500. Uh, and the reason for that is we are stepping up from a capable but nonetheless sort of analogue-sounding product to something which really, if you set it up correctly and all, all other things being equal, is just a superb piece of source equipment. And further to that is a piece of source equipment that is neutral enough in its own right that if you start changing bits on it, you're, all you're going to hear is the difference that that single component makes. Um, and the turntable I've selected for that is, as best as I know, uh, in, the, in, the, in the time I've been reviewing, the least expensive turntable where that is the case. And then finally, um, and I think I'm, I'm going to hear at least some sort of snigger from someone, the final turntable is a demonstration that, believe it or not, Actually, there's still quite a bit of innovation going on and there's some quite clever new engineering and new techniques being thrown at an 80-year-old format to boost performance further. And Genuine how much is that last one? About £2,500. All right, it's not, a, it's not too bad. No, no, I followed my instructions. <laughs> I, I didn't, go, didn't go completely bonkers. Uh, as you uh, sort of alluded to at the start, £2,500 is still paddling in the shallow end of silliness that is analogue. Um, yes. Uh, I've seen some turntables that uh, you could go and buy a Ferrari for what you're paying. Um, right. My first question, Ed, and it's something I'm picking up a trend on here. I don't know what three and four are, but are all of these belt drive? Yes. Why? Because direct drive done on the cheap gives you tremendous pitch stability and enormous acceleration as evidenced by the legendary SL1210 but the noise floor from doing it that way round is in an, in a hi-fi sense of the word belt drive is quieter uh, so there's less less audible noise through the cartridge you can make exceptionally quiet direct drive turntables but they are ferociously expensive and ferociously complicated back when the SL1210 an SL 1200 were designed. They were the just, just just for people that to follow this. That's the Technics yeah, turntable. The Technics turntable. The DJ yes. turntable. Yeah. Technics also made a turntable called the SP10, uh, which was the flagship. That was purely a hi-fi and professional broadcast design, and it's another direct di direct drive design. And I think all things it uh, I, I, the exact pricing in the UK is 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 unknown to me at this uh, it'll, it would take me a, a fair amount of digging about on the internet to find it but the sp10 was at least six or seven times as expensive yeah. and don't get me wrong it is 
incredibly quiet and it's built like a lorry as well yeah one, one of the regrets i always had was uh, there was a bbc station up here who had the, they, that's what they used a uh, radio station and that's what they used yeah. and they were um they were updating the station to uh, digital so cd playbacks and stuff like that and uh they skipped them and the one regret is i saw them in the skip and i didn't take them Yes, especially as even a tatty example is worth over a grand at the moment. So, um, yeah. So the answer to your question is direct drive hasn't gone away. Um, there are some actually some very interesting direct drive designs on the market, but they are extremely expensive. Um, in order to realise the benefits of direct drive without the downsides, it's, it's an expensive property. So, so, I mean, basically what you're talking about is noise, uh, noise floor, and that's why yeah. it's not used in high fight um, tables. See, I always, I always wondered why, because I would have thought as, as a perfectionist, you would want to hit exactly three and a, 33 and a third or 45 RPM. I, th- I just assumed that yeah, you, you would want that every right, single time. The other thing, of course, is that actually just doing that simple task, to do it, properly and avoid the, f- the phenomenon known as cogging where you actually switch between <laughs> shut up to switch between uh, you know the actual poles in the motor and yeah you'll find that funny as well sicko um it's actually quite an expensive business to do anyway so just getting the pitch stability is in itself a chance so if you're talking about small cottage industry turntable manufacturers it's something that you'd have to approach with an enormous amount of caution so really it was even back when direct drive turntables were routinely found it was something that the big japanese multinationals did because they had the engineering expertise to do it properly and since they got out of turntables and occasionally they sort of potter back in but they don't they don't sort of do it that way around anymore so europe was always more about sort of belt drive as a solution um and yeah it means that, that those are the sort of surviving designs and most of them rely on a belt do you, do you think all um all see techniques come back with a turntable do you know what they kept asking about people keep asking about, about it especially at bristol it was basically the question that kept on because they had the new sort of hi-fi stuff there it was the thing that uh, kept on being asked I don't know. The problem is, Phil, if they were going to do it, they'd have to do it properly. We'd have to do it. They'd have to do it to the standard that we, you know, as you know, people who you know remember that the first time round would expect them to do so, and it w- would cost a fortune. And in other words, you're asking a you know a, a subsidiary of Panasonic, a company which, <laughs> at the moment, shall we put it, is str- shying away from. Uh, sort of heavy capital investments like that. I, I just don't know. I don't think they would because in order to do justice to, it, justice to it, they'd have to spend a fortune and it's unclear whether they'd ever get that fortune back, even with sales on the up. Guys, after talking about turntables, just amongst us three, or sorry, four, I keep forgetting to count myself for some strange reason. Just amongst us, has Ed managed to persuade any of us that we should maybe get back into vinyl uh, you got Mr. Butterate first. Almost. Uh, this was I, I was very interested in, in reading these reviews, um, and, and the, the thing that kind of started them off was Ed's kind of impassioned plea about vinyl. Um, and I, I like the idea that there's something inherently different to listening to a vinyl record than you know just listening to a CD or popping on your MP3 player, because I, I find I don't tend to listen to music kind of with my undivided attention, which it seems like vinyl is more kind of, or vinyl appreciates that are more kind of predisposed to doing. Um, but I just find that, you know, music remains something that I put on whilst doing other things. 
you know, and I don't think I could get to that point where I could give it my undivided attention, where the kind of outlay would be uh, deemed worthwhile. It is. There's no getting around the, the buy-in. Ignore the price of the turntable. It's the buy-in of the media, which is the expensive bit to do with any degree of enthusiasm. And yeah, if you're not, if, if you aren't sort of committed to the concept of it, just, yeah. There, and, it, you know, also, Mark, you've got a, a, a fairly severe Nintendo habit to feed. So, I mean, I can't imagine that's the cheapest undertaking going. No, but I mean, that, that's that's kind of the thing. And the, the same reason that people tend to look at waiting a while before buying, say, a new console that's just out. Because I couldn't buy, like, if I bought everything necessary to get into vinyl, you can't just buy, you know, one LP. You know, that's your one and you go back to it. You, you would have to replace a certain amount of your collection or you, do you buy completely new stuff? You know, there, there's... And I know a lot of them, they come with, like, um, download codes now, don't they? Yes. And they're like... And so that that kind of that was slightly swinging it for me, if I was going to get into it, because the idea that I could also pop it on another device at the same time. So that kind of cuts the cost in half in some ways, and particularly for for kind of smaller releases, the kind of thing that that might be collectible in years to come, but generally might have a quite a limited market. Then that would certainly swing it because that kind of stuff can often be hard to find on CD anyway. You know, there are some things that you know if you're paying kind of best part of 20 pounds for something to try and find it and you're not getting a you know any kind of a code with that anyway and so you're having to rip it yourself then all of a sudden it starts to look like it's it's perhaps easier to get into but again it would be that question of building up a collection to actually make it worthwhile again like laser disc <laughs> i've you know the amount of vinyl i've sold thrown away given away over the years makes me cry and for that one reason i don't think i could get back into it have you not kept any? Because no. I still have two LPs for no reason. No, um, I sold them all as a job, Which two? job lot. Johnny Cash, Live at San Quentin. Skills. And good, uh, good Black Sabbath, Paranoid. Nice. Those are the only two. Oh, and I think I've got one which was like um, one of the orchestral soundtracks to Star Wars. I think that's it. Which if I bought a new record player, I would get bored fairly quickly, I think. <laughs> it doesn't have to be expensive. It really depends. I mean, if you are quite content to go long on albums that were pressed predominantly either prior to CD or at the very least, say, prior to about 1988. They exist in such large quantities that you can pick up a perfectly good example on a, on sites like Discogs, eBay, so on and so forth, and that need not cost you much or anything more than the CD does. Um, it's if you, if you do want to do new releases... Don't get me wrong, the choice now is extensive. There's, you can buy almost anything as a new release on vinyl, but it, it, it it's expensive. There's no getting around it. I do like the idea of having a piece of equipment that isn't connected up to a network, though, that isn't otherwise trying to kind of multitask. I think that that's kind of a, there a is great area. There is something fabulous about the fact that they just do one thing. Um, the turntable that's in... I suppose there's no great secret about it. the turntable it's in is the the smaller that the next one up is the uh, smallest model made by a company called Avid, who are based just near Cambridge, Huntingdon, uh, and it's the it's the Ingenium, and literally it is, it's just so astonishingly simple that I think it looks fantastic because there's so little of it. Absolutely everything on that turntable is there for a reason. And it's just the most single-minded and 
utterly minimalist thing and it's I, I think it's fabulous and I just you know I, there's there's an element of frustrated engineer and I, I just like that it does it does one thing and it, it just designed from the ground up to do that and you know when you compare it don't get me wrong you know most of the AV products I've had come through recently are ferociously complicated but they are amazingly capable but they are nonetheless designed to do 1,800 different things. And I just like having something that does one thing yeah. and one thing only. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to a related subject later in the podcast. So we need to move things on. So that is hardware for uh, this week. We'll be back in a second with some games news. I do like the term cogging, though. <laughs> it sounds like what vinyl enthusiasts drive to car parks to do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dave, have you seen this one over here? Yeah, <laughs> it's a sealed copy of her. To be fair, it's no more sordid than some of the stuff that's going to be at the Munich show. So, okay, Mark. Um, bit of a change for the books. We've actually got some games news this week. Uh, so, why don't you kick us off with something? Well, obviously, uh, one that other people on this podcast might be interested in: the Mad Max gameplay trailer. As other people are looking forward to the film. Um, we've finally got a look at how it will, what the gameplay will be like. And obviously, unsurprisingly, it's from Avalanche, who made the Just Cause games. So it looks like it would be very much a kind of chaos sandbox of a game. I have to say I shall eat humble pie on this one. I put it down as one of the games that I wasn't necessarily looking forward to this year because I thought it looked a bit... The sandstrom post-apocalyptic wasteland looked like it could be a bit kind of monotonous, a bit lacking in variety, you know, things to interact with but it seems like they are building quite a deep game um it's got they've shown off some brutal melee combat that looks absolutely kind of horrifying up there with some of the kind of finishing moves from mortal Kombat. very much in the style of the arkham games in how the melee combat's going to work um you know multiple opponents and taking on generally one at a time but the interesting thing is the car base the vehicular combat and how you will build your car your magnum opus um scavenge the area for scrap metal and it sounds like it's gonna go down a very much a morally ambiguous uh line with regards to narrative and how you interact with the world so mark do you not think it looks like an incredibly polished version of um like interstate 76 yeah it, it's evoking a lot of <laughs> different games but i i think they're They've just gone, look, what do people like about Mad Max? Um, you know, crashing cars together, exploding them, and kind of crunching faces. And so they've they've used various things that obviously you've seen before in Just Cause, but without that kind of lush, kind of verdant island setting, it, I thought it, it could look a bit kind of monotonous, but it seems like they've just gone overboard on violence and explosions and, and a lot of the things that it looks like the, the film will do. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to that one now. I quite like the look of it too. Remember that's what I loved Interstate seventy six. That was a mighty game. I suppose the the big kind of talking point in the past week has been Valve, the introduction of charging for mods on Steam. This is very much split opinion. Some people can see. Well, some people generally follow the rule that kind of you know Valve is just grabbing money. Others see it as them trying to reward work. The first example is Skyrim, and there are plans for other games to follow suit. It's very, very much a thorny issue. The idea is obviously to try and kind of engender some kind of creativity through payments. So what were previously free mods that added onto a game that 
added things like in Skyrim, you could go fishing and lots of different things. And that generally they enhance older titles particularly. So it adds more content. And so, you know, the people who are making the games originally don't tend to take any great umbrage with this simply because um, obviously it's it's giving them a longer lifespan. And if, if you know there's something that's making a game, giving you a reason to go back to a game, then obviously, you know, they'll be all for that. So the idea is to kind of harness the ingenuity of the community and reward people for hard work. However, the counter argument for that is that the community was already being creative enough and goodwilled enough not to charge. Um, there's also the problem, the question of it kind of uh, splitting the community because obviously all of a sudden once you start charging for something, you're basing that on ownership. And given that a large amount of things can reuse assets from different places and people have built on top of other mods, all of a sudden it creates this kind of chain effect of people trying to determine where something originated and who can charge for it. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out because Gabe Newell has come out, uh, responded to critics and said they will add or they'll look at adding a pay what you want option. Again, some people have responded and said, well, there was already a way to get payment for good mods, which was you added a link to ask for donations, which is how the, the community has usually got money through that. It's I think it, this one's going to rumble on for a, a very, very, very long time, though. OK, cool. Uh, so is that games news, Mark? Yeah, that is games news. Okay, moving on to movies, and um, I get to ask the question, because Steve actually went to the cinema this week. What's at the cinema, Steve? Before I answer it, did anybody but me go and see Avengers Age of Ultron at the cinema? I was I was washing my hair. I think you know the answer to that. <laughs> well, you never know. Might be one Ed was day. cogging. <laughs> <laughs> Avoiding cogging, thank you. Okay, well, Avengers Age of Ultron, obviously one of the big releases this year, along with Star Wars. Um, the Force Awakens. Are we going to see Star Wars? Yes, I'm sure we'll all be going to see Star Wars, won't we? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's interesting. Yeah, um, obviously the sequel to the Avengers or Avengers Assemble, as it was known in this country, because we didn't, didn't want it clashing with um, the Avengers TV series, which I presume was better known at that point than the Avengers comics. Um, I've seen one bloke who was dressed up as Steed turn away yeah, in disgust. Yeah, oh, turned up as Emma Peel. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're in wrong wrong place, mate. Um, yes, written and directed again by Joss Whedon, who did the original Avengers movie. Um, and I'd say I'd have to say I think he did a great job with the original Avengers movie because it was never going to be an easy gig. You try and take you know five or six um, established characters and put them into a single film. You've got a lot of characters plus a villain. A lot, you know, it's it's a, it's a juggling act, and I think he did a great job of it. The first time, my only complaint about the first film was that he shot it one point eight five to one and not scope, which was a different ratio to all the other Marvel movies. Um, and his reason at the time was, oh, you know, I, I couldn't work out how to fit the Hulk into the frame if we were using um, scope ratio, which seemed like a stupid explanation to me. No, especially since th this film, the new one is scope ratio, so go figure. But uh, I think he did a great job. He was obviously a, a, a difficult task to follow that up with another sequel, again juggling even more characters this time around, because you've also got Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch included in the film, and another villain. Um, and again, I think on the whole, he's done a brilliant job of delivering an entertaining film. You know, that was never going to be an easy task to a top the previous Avengers movie and b um, a juggle so many different characters. He does a good job. Plus, also, of course, the other problem you've got with a Marvel film is you're trying to tie it in with all the other films and their cinematic universe and keep everything consistent. So, never easy. And judging by the sounds of it, he doesn't want to do it again because he's not doing anymore. Um, the next two 
um, Avengers films will be shot back to back, which is the Infinity War part. Infinity War Parts 1 and 2 uh, will be directed by the guys that directed um, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Captain America Civil War. Um, so clearly this, this has been a, a tough task. I mean, spent the last uh, you know couple of years working on this. But I think on the whole, he's delivered. It's entertaining. It's fun. It's it's full of classic one-liners, very Joss Whedon. My only complaints about the film would be that I think the villain's a bit weak. Um, he seems sort of, I think one of the guys in the in the pod, in, in the um feedback thread for Kaz's review said it, you know, it fluctuates between him being a psycho and being a stand-up comedian and it is a little bit like that it's sort of you know psych- violent acts at one point and then jokes and, and soon afterwards and totally doesn't quite fit and you don't feel as if he's you know that, that strong a villain and, but then again I don't think the villain was particularly strong in the previous Avengers movie either which was Loki so mm, that's my one complaint my other complaint really is that um, the mid-credit sequence zinger to, uh, stinger towards the end it is a bit weak, and there's no there's no stinger at the very end of the film, right at the very end of the credits. Luckily, I'd read Kaz's review, so I knew that. So now to sit through ten minutes of credits to find out there was anything there at the end to see. But on the whole, it works really well. Um, the cast is excellent. I mean, they're all very established in their new roles now, apart from the, um, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who's playing Quicksilver, and Elizabeth Olsen, who plays Scarlet Witch. They're they're obviously new, but. Um, Everyone else is quite established in their roles. I know them really well. And uh, they all click together. And there's, you know, there's classic one-liners for people like... The relationship between um, Hatton America and Iron Man and Tony Stark is still really good. There's a good relationship developing between um, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner and um, and um, Scarlett Johansson's um, Black Widow. Works really well. And, uh, yeah, I think it, it's... Also, at the very beginning, there's, there's this opening sequence that, where I thought some of the CGI was a bit ropey. Uh, it looked very fake in places, which is a shame. But on the whole, the CGI and the effects are really good. And uh, it, it delivers in every area you'd want it to, and I think it's a definitely a good solid 8 out of 10. I know it's not a masterpiece, but it's certainly one of the best of the Marvel's movie, Marvel movies so far. I don't think it's as, as good as Captain America Winter Soldier, I think, is the best so far. And it's not quite as much fun as Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's certainly a good mix of the two and um, sets things up for the next phase of Marvel films. Okay, uh, so that's what was at the cinema this weekend. Uh, what's coming up on Friday, Steve? Friday, we've got Monsters Dark Continent, which is a kind of semi-sequel to uh, Gareth Edwards, who uh, recently directed Godzilla and is now directing the new Star Wars um, standalone movie, Rogue One. Uh, this was his first film, very, very low-budget movie that he did called Monsters, which I think is really good. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's great. This is a, a much higher-budget sequel where um, basically a, a squad of soldiers get trapped in the uh, infected zone where the monsters are and have to fight their way out. Um, see mixed reviews for this. haven't seen it yet myself, but I probably will go and check it out because I did enjoy the original film and I quite like the premise. Um, and it looked interesting in the trailers. There's also a, film, a second film, which has been done before with Julie Christie and Terence Stamp in the late 60s, but this is a, a new film version of Thomas Hardy's Far From the Madding Crowd with Kerry Mulligan in the lead role. And there's also Unfriended, which uh, was the one I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, where it looks like it's just watching a series of Skype conversations as is a film. Um, it's a horror film where, where um, a girl um, basically gets unfriended and, and treated badly on the internet, commits suicide, and then her ghost kind of haunts the people that um, had bullied her um, through the internet, I think. That's the general premise, anyway. Oh Whether that really works, I don't know. Um, the title's the terrible. <laughs> Unfriended. <laughs> it, it, sounds like some, it sounds like something Brian would pitch on Family Guy, like Faster Than <laughs> Speed of Love. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit of a strange one. Uh, what's wrong with just getting offline? Turn the computer off. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Solved. The job done. <laughs> 
those that that's what's opening this Friday. Um, obviously, last week everyone was avoiding the Avengers, but um, things things are p- picking up now over the next few weeks. We've got some um, fairly big movies coming down the line um, this month. For example, there's Poltergeist the remake, and um, Mad Max, of course, Mad Max Fury Road, um, San Andreas with um, with The Rock, which I'm not quite looking forward to. I wonder why. <laughs> Is that going to be a daytime uh, showing? Just you in the cinema, yeah. Me and the baby oil. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've got that image in my head now. Thanks. What has been seen cannot be unseen. Oh, terrible. <laughs> Gonna be sick. Moving on. Oh, Please. quickly. Um, yeah. So, what's coming up on Blu-ray? On Blu-ray next week, we've got Unbroken, which is um, the direct, not directorial debut, but certainly was directed by Angelina Jolie. Um, and is a story, a true story of an uh, American um, athlete who uh, fought in World War II, was uh, kidnapped by the Japanese and endured uh, various horrors in the Japanese prisoner war camp. I haven't seen it yet, but I have actually got the disc. I haven't got around to watching it yet. It's got an Atmos soundtrack, which is quite cool. Um, nice one, Miss Jolie. And um, yeah, certainly an interesting top subject matter. Never heard of this guy, but you know, he, um, you know, he's an Olympic champion. Ends up getting you know shot down over the Pacific and survives for weeks on end in a in a in a, in a, in a, in a dinghy and then gets picked up by the Japanese unfortunately for him and ends up spending the rest of the war in a prisoner war camp. So it's certainly an interesting story. Uh, we also got Birdman, which obviously won the best film best director of the Oscars this year. That comes out next week. Um, Automata, which has um, never got a cinema release in this country. I saw it on Netflix US a couple of weeks ago and quite enjoyed it. It's, it's with um, Antonio Banderas and um, involves um, you know artificial intelligence and robots, which seems to be a bit of a theme this year. There's been quite a few films covering the same subject matter. But uh, I quite enjoyed that, so worth checking out if you get a chance. And also, and this is a weird one, on DVD, they're releasing The Last Five Years, which we reviewed at the cinema two weeks ago, which is... Um, uh, kind of a relationship seen from both sides of the, you know, from the woman's side and the man's side, but with music. Um, not available on Blu-ray. It just seems to be getting released on DVD, which is a weird and annoying and slightly worrying precedent, particularly after the conversation we had last week about what Fox were doing with things like The Simpsons and and, um, and X-Files. So I'm not quite sure why it's not getting a Blu-ray release, but it is available on DVD. Although really quickly after the cinema release, which is also strange. Maybe they're just trying to get as much money back without spending any more. Well, yeah, true. But, you know, you think you did a Blu-ray release as well then, unless they're just not getting enough demand for it. And, you know, is it the type of title that would get the demand on Blu-ray to, you know, for them to press? Well, it's a musical, so you'd think, you know, the, the, the audio side might benefit from a lossless track, for one thing. No, you... No. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them won't even see a sound bar, let alone a proper sound. Yeah, you see, that's, 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 that's what that's I was thinking. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, something about some film called Fast and Furious Number Eight. I mean, I haven't even heard of the last seven, so don't know what this is about. Yeah, not so unsurprisingly, uh, it's been officially announced by Vin Diesel at CinemaCon last week that um, uh, there will be uh, an eighth Fast and Furious movie. No, no surprise there, really. I mean, I think they were talking about multiple films anyway after the sixth one they were, you know, they were going to do more than just one more sequel so there was always plans to do another one even before Paul Walker's untimely death um, but given the staggering success of the seventh film which is now made an unbelievable 1.3 billion dollars worldwide it's been the first film the first film not directed by James Cameron to make over a billion internationally not including the US so it's made a billion outside the US and another 300 million in the States it's made over That's the kind of fact China but that's the kind of fact that makes you wonder if you're still in reality, like in an Inception kind of way. That, the <laughs> kind of money that, yeah, that film's making just seems unreal. Yeah, but most of it's Steve. 
Um, it's, it's officially the most successful film of all time in China, uh, which is proving to be now the world's big, second biggest market after the States and sometimes bigger, depending on which film. Um, certainly Transformers, the previous record holder, made more money in China than it did in the States. A billion outside the US and another 300 million in the US. It's, it's looking like it's going to make about between 1.4 and 1.5 billion when it's finished its run completely. Um, said putting it fourth most successful film well, of all well, time. You see, the worrying thing here as well is that that's before DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, yes, it's just at the cinema. Um, so it would basically it'll be Avatar, Titanic, um, the Avengers, and then uh, then Fast and Furious Seven, which is quite remarkable. I mean, at the beginning of the year, if you said to me which film's going to make most money this year, I'd say either the Avengers or Star Wars. Obviously, it could theoretically be. <laughs> no, I, I, I think seven. I think Marvel. Uh, but and, I suspect yeah. Avengers will make more money than than Avengers uh, will be the biggest, followed by Star Wars, then FF Seven. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, 1.4 billion, that's good going by anybody's book, even for a Star Wars movie. Yeah, but, it, but uh, yeah, what, what but, you but, are to Fast and the Furious 7 Phil is to Star Wars, he's going to see it enough times to put yeah, a couple of hundred exactly. million and, through the, and, through the I tills. Mean, and... Just look at all the announcements that have been made recently and how quickly the internet has, has basically you know, come to a halt with nothing discussed but Star Wars when there's been an announcement. There's huge momentum there. So far more than Fast and Furious. Is there any details on who's other than Vin Diesel? Who who's on board for actually like well, directing? It's going to have so. no. The director hasn't been announced yet. I mean, basically they've announced a release date, which is in April 2017. I'm assuming that the existing crew, except obviously Paul Walker, will be back um, back for more. Plus, um, Kurt Russell's character from this seventh film will be making a return, apparently. And the studio were trying to arrange for Eva Mendes to come back, her character, which was in the second film, Too Fast, Too Furious, and briefly appeared in an, in an end credit sequence in the Fast Five. Um, she might be coming back as well. Uh, and hopefully get The Rock back, because his schedule's pretty busy at the moment. So getting him him finding time to do a film is, is tricky, because he's so popular. Couldn't they just jump cut to his things he's been doing in the previous three? I said, well, that's how they... That's how they assembled Paul Walker's performance for the previous film. I, I say I still haven't seen it yet. I mean, is there is there somewhere to go with the story? Uh, what story? Yeah, sure. There is. There is some, uh, there's plenty of places to go, if only because the villain from the sixth film and the villain from the seventh film, who are brothers, are both still alive. So, you know, they could come back as, as maybe a tag team them together as villains. Plus, obviously, you've got Kurt Russell's character. I mean, he's um, like a CIA guy called Mr. Nobody, so you don't know his real name, but, um, you know, I'm sure he's got stuff going on. There's Hobbs and his, you know, the, the, the Rocks character and stuff he's doing. So there's plen- plenty of room for them to do stuff. Steve, Plus, can you, you know, just, I just want to know, are you the one who edits the Wikipedia page about these, this kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> you seem to know far too much about it. I think, I, I don't know, if you look at the intricacies of those pages, actually, it has to be a league of them. It's like a secret society, like Masons. A, but league, a with... league of withers. Wait, what, what would you call a group of withers? Wither, withers? I don't know. It's one of those things. I don't know. <laughs> what? Trivia, I was going to say trivia fans. That a withers is actually the shoulder of a horse. Tumbleweed. Okay. There you go. <laughs> wow. So anyway, Fast and Furious 8 uh, is announced for, for April 2017. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll have weekly updates on that one then, Stephen. <laughs> Regular updates coming over the next two years. Yes. Right, we're going to go back slightly to vinyl. Um, 
well, we had a conversation earlier in the podcast about vinyl and should we get into it and so on. And, and it is an 80 year old technology, but it, it's an 80 year old technology that survived, um, which is obviously what Ed said earlier on, um, and quite right as well. There's been lots of technologies in that time that have come and gone. Um, so, which ones would we like to see make a comeback? Now, the question. Uh, that having the running order doesn't make it clear if this is just audio, Steve, or is this any bit of technology? Anything. Okay, let's go to Mr. Botwright. You know what? I don't know if this will count as technology, but I'm kind of hoping that, in a sense, VR will replace the kind of gaping hole in my life since uh, I lost my Viewmaster toy as a child. <laughs> they were genuinely good, and and it seems like no one's making them properly these days. I don't know if that counts as technology. It 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 has a moving part. So <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Beyond that, um, I can't I can't really think of anything that I'd want to see come back. I mean, I used to enjoy mixtapes more in the days when it was on cassettes. Beyond that, I'm I'm struggling well, to think well, of anything. Well, what what replaced the the mixtape mark playlist? Playlist, but also CDs. You know, burn them yourself. That kind of thing. Um, I enjoy mini discs. Yeah, but the thing about mixtapes was there was something there was something physical about building a creative mixtape because you had to, you know, record the record the track you were picking on pick, picking onto a tape, press record, press stop, do the next one. There was a, a lot of love and thought went into creating a mixtape. You know, you, you, you didn't you want learn, to blow your wad in the opening. Yeah, track. you, you, you learn a lot about people as well and their musical taste, and and yeah. you got to know about people quite quickly. And like you say, there was a lot of effort put into that. I mean, nowadays, what do you do? Tick, Tick a few boxes to put, yes, add, add no a playlist. Uh, Steve? Well, I mean, given that, you know, my main interest is movies, you know, I was thinking about previous movie format, you know, film formats for you know, for home consumption, not, not at the cinema. And, um, well, actually, no, at the cinema, I'll tell you what, I'd love to see make a comeback. Proper 70 millimetre. I know that you, yeah. you can say that some IMAX stuff is, but remember, there's, A, there's no IMAX cinema anywhere near me, but it's not quite the same. But big widescreen 70 millimetre, 70 millimetre prints would look awesome on the big screen. And, you know, that would be something that would be way beyond anything you could do currently at home. Because I mean, nowadays you're talking about, you know, people already got 2K, they're going to 4K. So they're starting to, and we're talking about wider colour spaces and higher bit rates, etc. So we're starting to move to a point where home formats are not hugely dissimilar from what you're seeing at the cinema. Obviously, the size of the screen might be much larger, but the content's very similar. But 70mm would still be a quantum leap above that, you know, actual film there, stock as well. Are there still directors of photography, though, that, that know how to use 70mm to... Well, I, I don't know, but I know that um, Quentin Tarantino is shooting um, The Hateful Eight in 70mm. So he's actually shooting it, not in IMAX, in 70mm. And it has been done in the past as well on a few things. Uh, Kenneth Branagh shot Hamlet in 70mm. And Paul Thomas Anderson shot the master in seventy mil. So um, people still can, you know, if you're, you know, it's not, in, not it's not un, infeasible. It's just a people doing it and b having having um, a, a place to see it. You know, I mean, places are there with seventy millimeter projectors. I mean, hardly any. So it's limited in that sense. But that would be something I'd like to see make a comeback because obviously I was too late. My generation was too late to see that at the cinema. That was really a sixties thing. But in terms of home consumption of, of movies, you know, there's no question that where we are right now is infinitely superior to where we were in the past. Much as I love Laserdisc, in terms of its appeal for collectability and the packaging, etc., the pitch quality now compared to what we've got, it would just be abysmal. Yeah, Steve, but you know what I would like to see? I'd like to see 12-inch 4K Blu-ray. So <laughs> a, a hybrid format, just so you could have, because it's, it's such high quality 4K, you got bags of space on a 12-inch disc. 
and you can have the big 12 inch gatefold sleeves with all the nice artwork and all the rest why can't they do it why not actually that is that's an interesting question if someone is listening to this podcast who understands both encoding practice and has the mathematical chops to do this accepting that you get is it clear how much storage is possible on 4k blu-ray yet it's 100 gig wasn't it 100 gigs so yeah, that's on a, that's on, on on a on a disc that's fundamentally the size of a cd scaled up to give you the surface area of a 12 inch laser disc how much notional storage is that and it has to be both sides so it keeps it authentic so you can have the highest quality possible but change uh, it halfway but, through but it has to flip you need an interval with these things yeah i mean i, I, was, I was thinking about actually i was thinking about this the other day can you imagine the Lord of the Rings trilogy on, on Laserdisc, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on old Laserdisc. CAV Laserdisc. <laughs> so what was, that, what was that? Was that 15 minutes aside? No, was that, no, 20 no, minutes? Was, what was no, the CAV Laserdisc? I think it was 30 minutes aside. No, it must have been longer than that. I think it was about 45 minutes. No, no, not CAV. Uh, C. Oh, Christ, what was the C- one called? CLV. Was the CLV. Long play. That was the long play one. You yeah. get one hour either side. Yeah, but you see, Pioneer did away with the the need for them because the later discs had the memory store. Remember, so you didn't need a carve disc after a while. You could go through. And no, yeah, but no, but if you bought a CAV disc, it, it was about fifteen twenty minutes per side, wasn't it? Was it, it wasn't as that sh- long. Was it as short as that? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was really short. Yeah. So uh, um, Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be like extended editions. <laughs> <laughs> It'd arrive in a crate <laughs> with a forklift. So, but that's my point, you know. We, it's, it's you can't, you know. In terms of video, we, we don't want to go back, do we? Because no, no, no. But I, 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 mean, just, I don't want VHS back or something like that. No, 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 no. But I, just for nostalgia's sake, you know what I mean? Just 4K video, but on a 12-inch disc, so you can have all the, the artwork and the gatefold sleeve and stuff. Yeah, which is the thing we miss. But certainly in terms of quality, now you know you're talking about uh, 1080p or even possibly 4K soon, and, and lossless audio and immersive, immersive audio and all this sort of stuff is just staggering what you can get now for a fraction of what you would have spent. 10 years or 15 years ago. But with, with vinyl, vinyl, I mean, I've heard some demos of vinyl in the last couple of years and I've been blown away with how good it sounds. I've just totally forgotten. You know, Ed, um, I think I think we're going to take you up one week on, on this idea that's been running around for a long time where we give you a couple hundred quid and you go and buy AV equipment from 10, well, 10, A 2001 full-on ProLogic yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, right, and obviously. you've got to build a system for 200 quid off eBay. Right. We'll see how we go. Yeah, we definitely have to do that at one point. Uh, anyway, AV forums does bargain hunters. <laughs> Scrappy challenge. I, I actually think I think it's it, it's an interesting look at where we've been and where we've come from yeah. to where we are now. But I think that yeah, make a great feature. I think. Um, and if anybody's got any ideas as to what Ed should be looking for in terms of kit, sort of pre. 2001 kit um, then leave your suggestions uh, below this podcast right ed what's your technology i've been thinking about this and i completely agree with steve vinyl's a bit of a weird outlier because it is still capable of quite extraordinary results which is why beyond sentimentality it, it didn't just die so i'm i agree entirely with what steve is saying there's no i, I don't want retro for retro's sake what I miss, and I am about to drop an image into the chat bar for you guys, and I can put it into the thread if it needs to be. I miss the mechanical engineering of some devices, even if it was revisited in a slightly artificial way. I just miss 
everything now because it operates almost exclusively in the electronic domain it's just not the same that's uh actually a pop quiz for steve steve oh, you would have seen one of those before what film is one of those in as a minor plot device it's like something from uh, a conversation almost mission impossible it's not modern it, it's n- 1990s and it features the god of acting that is Nicolas cage uh eight oh. millimeter it's in Con Air. It's the blo- the, um, the 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 undercover agent has one strapped to it. And when and when he's punched, you see one of the reels uh, leave. It. I mean, admittedly, that's quite a traumatic thing, given how much these things now cost on the used market. But um, <laughs> th- as I say, that what I've put a, po- a picture of there, and I say put it in thread. That's a Nagra tiny portable reel to reel recorder it was used for recording conversations um off the cuff uh music performances so on and so forth it was the, the highest performing product that they could build into into a space who actually fit into an inside jacket pocket I used, I used to use one on a regular basis when i did hospital radio when i was about 13 or 14 year old and um don't get me wrong it does absolutely nothing that the voice recorder function that on my phone does but it is just a minor work of art bc again it's it's analog and it's analog done properly and it's analog that was done over decades and refined and refined and refined um and tape always sounds nice well it's not just that but it's i i just miss the you know mechanical moving part engineering in in modern products because it isn't generally required it's quite weird one of the review products for this month and they will turn up i promise you um is ironically it's oppo um i don't want to spoil the surprise about other than saying it's by oppo but oppo obviously someone in that design in their design team thinks a bit like me because they've managed to get a small amount of this sort of mechanical sense into a product and i i you know i can't i I mean obviously i have reviewed it in a completely sort of sober and, you know, uh, objective way sonically. But I can't, you know, dis- disentangle the fact that I quite like it because it feels a little bit reminiscent of these older products. And yeah. I like that very, very much. I mean, the, the interesting thing with Real to Real is that I learned to edit on a Real to Real um, with a razor blade and tape. And I'm just thinking about it. And, and back in the day when I used to do that on a regular basis, I'm thinking I could, I could probably have edited this podcast quicker on a reel-to-reel with a razor blade and a bit of tape than I can on the computer now. That's assuming that Withers' constant discussion of the Fast and the Furious <laughs> didn't mean that you took the razor blade to your, to your own person. <laughs> well, there is that downside, isn't there? At least with a computer, I kind of slip my wrist. Uh, so my, my answer is a, a disingenuous one. I miss mechanical engineering. It's not so much a specific format. I just miss the beauty of doing something exclusively in in a in a cogs wheels and 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 you know otherwise moving parts sort of way rather than just eqing it to death yeah or relying, on, relying on a chip built by the hundreds of millions yeah um don't get me wrong the new way is un- inarguably superior we get more much more bang for our buck but i just miss precision engineering um right so i guess that, that that's our technology choices there i'm going to stick with a with a 12 inch 4k blu-ray it's an old meets new. That's what I want to see. Make it happen. Make it so. I'll stick with my Viewmaster. I think maybe for nostalgia, obviously you've reviewed that excellent 4K OLED, but maybe you should be able to buy an aftermarket CR2 
emulator crt emulator so you can then just add a needless 120 kilo giant chassis to the back of it for old time's sake yeah so you end up with something which is just completely immovable and you have to build the entire room this is a conversation we had we're so glad that we started reviewing tvs on av forums in 2008 yeah more tvs with wood trim that's what i'd like to see (laughs) Well, there is a nostalgia market for that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, well, Lerva used to do all right in as much as Lerva did all right until they sort of went, went bust. Stopped doing all right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, it has to be done with a certain... I mean, the problem is that, they, you know, I, I've now seen an example of this 4K OLED. There's so little of it, I don't know where you'd put the wood, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, there's not a lot of it. To, to put it on the remote. Oh, now you can yeah. gas. I, I noticed there's stuff for the PS4 and the, the Xbox One. There's one that emulates the the old um, the old Atari, the 2600. Oh yeah, the the skins that you can put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah it looks fantastic. And I actually watched that that documentary at the weekend, Mark. Um, it, it appeared on Netflix over the weekend. Uh, the Atari, um, the one where they went E-T. to fight E.T. E-T in the in the dump. Oh, I haven't watched that yet. It's on Netflix. It appeared at the weekend. I watched it. It was really good. Really, oh, brilliant. Really quite, cool? quite nerdy. Uh, Atari, it's called. I think it's called Atari. I can't remember. It, it, it's on the just added list. It just appeared at the weekend there, but it, it is well worth a watch. There's some really strange people. But we should celebrate that. Yeah, totally. One even drives a DeLorean. <laughs> uh, my thanks to Steve Withers. A man with an umbrella is a man praying for rain. Mark Botwright. Macaroon. And Ed Selly. All right, then. You can have a good 10 inches overnight there. I thought it was 12 inches you were into. That's me, but this is a quote from that mighty film. Best appreciation. (laughs) (laughs) Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for the latest reviews, news and video. Plus, you can also leave us a rating on iTunes, but only if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. (laughs) 